good morning this morning. Stand with us as we open in worship. Well, I've searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise, treasures that fade are never enough. Thankful for that. And put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Nothing is better Turn seas into highways. You're the only one who 
Amen. Good morning, Sunset Hills Baptist Church. Isn't that wonderful to be singing that together as a church? He's the only one who can, and there's nothing that's better than him. Is that your heart's cry this morning? There is nothing better than our God who does amazing, amazing things. We want to welcome you guys to Sunset Hills Baptist Church this morning. It's so good to see you all here on a beautiful, beautiful Sunday. We got Little League uh, World Series going on. We got the the, uh, Knights getting ready to kick off, and they kicked off. And, man, it's a great, great time of year, isn't it? The fall, the cool weather is coming through. I already see heads nodding about that cool fall weather. I see a lot of heads out there nodding. God is so good to us. If you're a guest this morning, if this is your first time, uh, we are so honored by your presence. And we're so happy that you're here this morning to worship this one we're singing about, who's the only one who can. And we'd love to get to know you more. We hope that you stop at our welcome desk on the way out if someone doesn't uh, grab your arm before then and welcome you here so we can get to know you more a little bit. Um, Man, it's so good to see these guys up here in the front row uh, worshiping our Lord. Good to see all of our families here this morning as school has started too. And let's continue to worship the only one who can. Your 
reaching down to us. Your grace is enough for me. God, I see your grace is enough. I'm covered in your blood. Yes, your grace is enough for me. For me.
prayer of hope, a prayer of assurance and guarantee that you are a God of your promises and that your grace is enough. Lord, we pray all these things in your heavenly name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. From time to time when people find out that I do a lot of DIY and woodworking projects around the house and otherwise, they will often ask me where did I learn my ability to do that or learn my skills. And then they will say something like this, did your dad do things like this? And I will always say, no, my dad did not do any DIY projects ever around the house. He he and mom lived in some nice homes, and quite often those homes would have multiple bathrooms. And I'll have to say that whenever we went over there, sometimes it was very difficult to find one bathroom out of five that worked. It was sort of embarrassing at times. I tell them usually I learned by trial and error and a lot of error teaches you how to do things better, amen? Are you with me this morning? Maybe you're still in the habit of doing a lot of errors, I don't know. Some will ask me if I watch YouTube to learn these things. My first house that I purchased was in 1983, and I assure you, actually in 1982. Well, it was way back in 1981. I'll get it right in a minute. There was no YouTube available around then. YouTube did not come around until 2005. You may be interested in knowing that. But nowadays, when I get ready to do a project, I actually do watch a lot of YouTube by others who... Who, who do work before I start a project. YouTube is a great teaching tool when you find the right people teaching in the right way. Now, I will tell you that there's a lot of YouTube people out there that try to do a lot of teaching that you should not pay any attention to whatsoever. They're really imposter, imposters who do a really a lot of bad stuff in trying to teach you. So you have to be careful as to whom you choose to watch. But when I do come across someone who seems to be blowing up YouTube with millions of hits, I am intrigued by what they do and how they created such a buzz. How did they go viral? What did they create that gets so much attention? And I find myself kind of thinking, man, I could do that. I dream about starting my own woodworking channel and become famous like some of these people that I watch. If I did, what would be my measure of success? 100 views per week or 1,000 views per week? What if I reached a million views in one year? Experts would tell you that you shouldn't really set a goal other than get as many views per day as possible. I really don't think I'd be all that successful based on the latest video that I produced or did 
and I posted on Facebook this week, I created a short video on hummingbirds right outside my back porch, and people have watched it a whopping 187 times as of yesterday. And out of that, people only liked it 44 times. Come on. <laughs> Feed my ego more than that. But that's really not all that successful when you stop and think about it. I don't think you'll have to worry about trying to find another pastor to replace me because of my success on YouTube. But what if you created a song that has endured not one year of success or a decade of success, but for a couple of hundred years and is said to be sung 10 million times a year after year after year after year. And that's exactly what John Newton did when he wrote what was to become the number one most favorite hymn of people all over the world. Ten million times a year. And watch this, appearing on more than 11,000 different albums. Now, how would, you, how would you like getting the royalties off of that particular song? Be pretty good, wouldn't it? But it's a shame all of those who make money on YouTube. Amazing Grace. You might be uh, interested in knowing that Amazing Grace was not the title that John Newton chose initially for this great hymn. He named it Faith's Review and Expectation. It's a story about his amazing life and the grace that was to become his salvation. This young boy named John started out as a privileged uh, young fella, uh, the son of a successful sea captain. He had a mother who loved him very much and cared about his education. And by the time he was four, she taught him how to read scriptures and recite hymns from the divine and moral songs for children by Isaac Watts. And like so many of the hymn authors, tragedy struck this young man, his young life at the age of six when his mother, who had fervently prayed over him so much, became uh, ill and passed away. She prayed over him to become a minister, but he loses his mom at such a young age. Eventually, his father would remarry, and John was sent to boarding school where he was described as a good student who could read Latin and had interest in mathematics. John's father was a very well-respected sea captain and at the age of 11 started carrying his son John out to sea with him. His father would often try his best to create opportunities for his son to succeed, but they, all of these opportunities were squandered by John, who became increasingly rebellious and blew all those chances that his dad would make for him. Even at sea, when he was given positions of authority because of his father's influence, John wasted them, only to be demoted to a common seaman. And in spite of his mother's prayers and influence, John Newton 
was not a good man. He was not liked by the other crewmen on board the ship. He was distrusted by the other crew and all of the sailors and officers alike. His life became so degenerated that he gained the nickname of the Great Blasphemer. He was forced to join the Royal Navy in 1744, but that didn't last long when he decided that he would desert the very Navy that he was supposed to join. Soon he was caught, he was flogged, and demoted again. And after that, he made up disrespectful songs about his ship's captain, and that got him demoted even further. He prided himself in creating profound uh, or for profanity and sharp-witted attacks on Christianity. He eventually convinced his superiors to discharge him to a slave ship. Espousing free-thinking principles, he remained ignorant and insubordinate, and he lived with a moral abandon. I sinned with a high hand, he later wrote. And I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. Not a good guy at all. Eventually, he would become a partner with a slave trader from West Africa. His partner was married to an African princess who did not like John at all. And during one of his partner's absences, John fell gravely ill, and his partner's wife took advantage of the situation. John found himself enslaved, just like those that he had enslaved, brutalized, and he was begging for food, all at the mercy of this woman of his part, who was married to his partner. And ironically, it was only the other slaves who were his source of mercy. So this sluggish sailor was eventually transferred to the service of the captain of the Greyhound, a Liverpool Ship. Now, why is this important? Because he went on a journey, and it would begin to change his life on this particular ship. You know, you think of a person that had such bad luck. Well, we don't really call it luck, really. Who had done so many bad things would eventually learn that God was trying to get his attention and change his ways. On this particular voyage, his life would be changed in ways that he could never imagine. He began to wrestle with his conscience and was reading uh, from the, uh, a book called The Imitation of Christ and was struck by a line about the uncertain continuance of life. The Holy Spirit's beginning to work on him. He also recalled the passage in Proverbs, Because I have called you, and ye have refused, I will also laugh at your calamity. Moments after, uh, on that voyage in March of 1748, the ship was overtaken by a huge storm. He had been manning the deck and eventually was relieved and went down below and a crewman, one of his best friends, took his place, and that crewman was swept overboard. He was then called back up to man the vessel for the remainder of the, the watch, and he later commented that throughout the tumultuous uh, seas, he shouted, he wondered, could there be any mercy for one who profaned the Lord's name as effectively and deliberately as he? 
He was beginning to question his decisions in life and his choices. And he started remembering and seeking answers to that. As he was in that storm, he lashed himself to the helm of the ship. He considered many verses. Now watch this. That he had learned that his mother had taught him early in his life. He especially was struck by the story of the prodigal son that you would expect, right? Found in Luke chapter 15. He marveled at the father who raced to meet his wayward son and felt hope for his own soul. He realized his helplessness in that storm and concluded that the only thing that could save him would be the grace of God. That badly damaged ship was able to withstand the storm. And when it finally dropped anchor, there was a man who was transformed when John Newton safely made it ashore. Two years later, with the blessing of his father, he would get married to his childhood sweetheart. The life of this man who had been so despised who had had such disdain for God, had been transformed by the very grace of God, and he would devote the rest of his life to the gospel ministry. Watch this, an answer to his mother's prayer of long ago. In 1787, Newton wrote, Thoughts upon the African slave trade to help William Wilberforce's campaign to end the practice of slavery, a business at which my heart now shudders, he would say. Not long before his death, Newton preached in a loud voice. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. And until he died in 1807, at the age of 82, Newton never stopped wondering about the grace of God that saved an old African blasphemer, as he self-described. The epitaph he wrote for himself on his tombstone reads, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. So it's no wonder that John Newton would write the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, now I see. The Bible says that God is a gracious God. In Psalm 145, verse 8, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. That means he loves to be gracious to you, to us. God loves to bless people. Watch this. God loves to bless people who don't deserve it. That's his nature. 
And from the very beginning of God's dealing with mankind, we've been the recipient of his grace in order that we might have one thing that he would give us, and that's to be saved from sin and brought into an acceptable relationship with God. In order to understand what's so amazing about grace, you have to start out at a different place. You have to understand sin. What is sin? Sin is the transgression of God's holy law, his word. Sin is loving self more than loving God and loving others. Sin is saying, hey, it's my will, not yours, God, to be done. Sin is that, is that black hole that separates us from God, that broke the relationship between us and him. And here's the thing. I think we all know it, but we need to be reminded of this. We're all guilty of sin. I don't know if I told you this story last week or not, but Eli's our little grandson who's three years old. He um, was staying with us, and his older cousin Stone was with us last Friday because Stone had a half day of school, and Eli had grandma camp. So they were there together. Finn was at preschool. Oliver, or Dolly as uh, Eli calls him, was with his mom. So it was just the two of them. And this, if you ever want to see the essence of purity, all you have to do is look at Eli. Three years old. I've told you before, the first time he ever spoke was much later than a typical kid speaks. And the first words that were audible and to be understood was when he was singing Jesus loves me, this I know. Well, Eli loves to trinkle with things. It's interesting to watch as he's just enamored by different types of uh, things around the house, doorknobs and locks being one of those. At some point in time on Friday, he goes to the bathroom in our hallway and locks the door. He's on the outside of it, so he's locked everybody out. And when it was discovered by his grandma that he had locked the door, she goes to him and she says, Eli, did you lock the door? No. Eli, did you lock the door? Tell me the truth. No. Eli, if you didn't lock the door, who locked the door? He says, I think it was stone. <laughs> you don't have to teach a kid to lie. You don't have to teach a kid to be sinful. We're all sinful. That's what the Bible says. For everyone is sinned. 
It's all of us. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. It's what Romans 3.23 says. Sin is costly. And because there is sin, there's a debt to be paid for the sin. A wage, as the Bible describes it. In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. Let that one sink in just for a minute. What a sad state we would be in if we were left with the penalty of sin. We would all be paying for the price of sin. No one exempted. Everyone condemned by sin. We cannot even comprehend the tragedy it would have been if God, after the creation, had simply just walked away and left mankind to their own devices. You sinned, now live with it. But he didn't. You see, I didn't give you the rest of that verse from Romans 6:23 that says the wages of sin is death but but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord and you know what that ought to say that ought to save a rounding applause and, a, and an amen from our church right God loved us too much to have not provided a way that we would be rescued from sin and restored to that relationship with Him. And this is what grace is all about. So you can't understand the Christian life unless you understand sin, and you can't really understand the Christian life until you understand sin and grace. Grace is the heart of our faith. It's the heart of our relationship with God. Watch this. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. Freely. This notion of God's love coming down to us, free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against everything, every instinct of secular society today, but God freely gives us this gift to make us right in His sight. Now, there are many people, they think they're saved by works, that they can earn their your way to heaven. If I just do enough good... All my good's going to outweigh my bad. There is no amount of good that you can do that's going to earn your way into heaven. It's a gift of God through the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that one applause. God may be saying, come on, church, you can do better than that. You see, this is the funda fundamental difference between Christianity and every other religion, every other faith, every other belief system. It does not matter what it is. 
The difference is the grace of God that's found in Jesus Christ, a free gift that says you don't deserve, but I love you enough that I'm still going to send my son to die for your sins. All the other religions say you have to earn your way into heaven. But God says, I give you a gift. You don't do anything to earn it. It's a gift. So I need to be saved by grace. I need undeserved salvation. Why? Because I was born a sinner, and sin's ultimate punishment is hell. Because God loved us, and because of his overflowing divine love and mercy, God wanted to include me, and he wants to include all of us in this saving act. Listen to how the Apostle Paul, one that recognized himself as in great need of grace. And if you know anything about Paul's life, you certainly understand that, of what he was doing before he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he recognizes what a sinful person he was. And he wrote a very beautiful passage in Ephesians that goes like this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. You see, here we see the, the true source of, of mercy and grace. It, it, it's the love of God. It's what he demonstrates. It's why he demonstrates his grace and mercy toward us. It's not because we're good enough. It's not because we're deserving. It's not because we have great potential. It's not because of, of, of have learning and great intellect. It, it's not because of anything that we can do. No, grace is an outpouring, unconditional love of God to me and to you who are lost sinners. God just gives it to us simply because he loves us. Paul says God is rich in mercy. Not only does God not give us what we do deserve, he makes a habit of, he abounds in mercy. In his mercy, not giving us what we deserve, he gives us grace, the gift that we don't deserve. Made us alive with Christ. <clears throat> Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is, once more his, by grace, you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. One more time he says it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace did for us what we could never do for ourselves. You all familiar with Muhammad Ali? Yes? yes. I got to make sure every now and then. I need your amen video. You'll send it to me. 
I'm, I'm got, I've got a, Kelly's got a special amen hallelujah video that I told him he needs to send to me because when you're not with me I'm going to start playing this video you be watching for it y'all familiar with that Muhammad Ali yes. there you go 2001 Reader's Digest asked Muhammad Ali what his faith meant to him and Ali replied it means A a ticket to heaven one day we're all going to die, and God's going to judge us. Our good and our bad deeds. If the bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. If the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. And that's what so many people believe. That's not what the Bible says. God says that you can try to keep all the laws you want, but it's impossible. You're far from perfect. Here's what James 2.10 says. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of them. So once again, there's nothing I can do to save myself. We have salvation because of grace. God's amazing grace. Let's just kind of explore the definition of grace for a moment. Different folk have defined grace like this. Grace is undeserved kindness. Someone has said grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Kind of corny, but it's true. This one, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's taking... God's love taking the initiative to, man, to meet man's need, whatever that need may be. Grace is this, love stooping down or bending down. Here's a good sentence of definition of grace that I have run across. Grace is God's freely given unmerited favor toward the sinful and, the sinful and, un, and failing the expression of forgiving, redeeming, restoring love toward the unworthy. Grace given freely. Grace is often confused or interchanged with mercy. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve. That's punishment. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. That's blessing. Remember the story of Nineveh? They deserve God's punishment, but God didn't give them what they deserve. That was mercy. Grace goes beyond mercy. Grace is a pardon, so to speak. Amazing grace. Maybe you've heard this story before about Fiorello LaGuardia. He was the mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression and all of World War II. The name may sound familiar to you since LaGuardia Airport is named after him. He was called by many New Yorkers the Little Flower because he was only five foot four and always wore a carnation in his lapel. He was a colorful character who used to ride the New York City fire trucks and raid speakeasies with the police department and take, the entire, and take entire orphanages to baseball games. Whenever the New York newspapers were on strike, he would go on radio and read the Sunday funnies to the kids. 
On one particular bitterly cold night in January of 1935, the mayor turned up at night court in an area that served the poorest ward in the city. LaGuardia dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the bench. And within minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted her, her daughter was sick, and, two, and her two grandchildren were starving. But the storekeeper, from whom the bread was stolen, refused to drop the charges. It's a real bad neighborhood, Your Honor, the storekeeper told the mayor. She's got to be punished to teach others here a lesson. LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman and said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. But even as he pronounced sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his back pocket. He extracted a bill and tossed it into the hat, saying, Here is the $10 fine, which I now remit, and furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect and give them to the defendant. The following day, the New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to the bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren, with 50 cents of that amount being contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner. Some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations in New York City, policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents, gave the mayor, listen to this, a standing ovation. Here's my question. Did the elderly lady in the store get what she deserved? And clearly the answer is no, of course not. She had stolen a loaf of bread. And yes, she may have had a reason, but stealing is stealing. And regardless of the reason, punishment would seem to be the order of the day. And what we see in this story of what the mayor did is grace. It's grace when a superior, one who is superior has superior power shows kindness or mercy to one in a lesser position. Mayor LaGuardia, rather than demanding the punishment for the woman, himself paid the fine and then further helped her case and the collection of the 50 cent fines and then gave the money to her. It was more than what she deserved. It was grace. In reality, that's just a smidgen of the grace that you and I receive when God showed his mercy, his love, and his grace toward us. Remember the definition of grace? Grace is God's freely given, unmerited favor toward the sinful and failing. The expression of forgiving, redeeming, restoring love toward the unworthy. Let's add to it this. It may just be displayed as narrow as one of those acts or as, a broad, as broad as the whole of God's activity towards man. I like that. The whole of God's activity towards man. 
you stop and think about it. If you do, you start to wonder about grace. Really and truly, it's incomprehensible. What word better suits trying to describe grace than amazing? What I've discovered as I am getting older rather than getting smarter and really discovering more that I know when it comes to things like God's grace I seem to know less about it of how unfathomable it really is to think about the amount of grace that he's shown to me more grace than I could ever imagine. I need God's grace. I do. I needed it for my salvation. And I need God's grace daily. And the miraculous and comprehensible fact is that he gives me this unmerited favor, forgiving, redeeming, Restoring a love to me that I am certainly unworthy of. John Newton understood this when he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. Was blind. But now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. It took a shipwreck, almost being lost at sea, for John Newton to finally get to the point as grace, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear? The hour I first believed. So when we sing these words, we hear the story of a man who didn't deserve grace, amazing grace. It really should remind us of ourselves that we don't deserve this amazing grace that saves 
a wretch like me. Would you stand, please? You see, there are all of us. There's a place in our life where we must come face to face with our own sinfulness. That place where we, too, recognize that we were a wretch. The life that we live, when it doesn't please God, is full of sin. And when you stop and think and compare it to the amazing grace that God has, it says you need to change. You need to focus on the grace that God has given to you. And just like John Newton did come to that place, it's like, why, God, would you ever show this kind of grace to me? And God simply says, because I love you. I love you. Apostle Paul came to that place. I came to that place. And anyone who's given Christ control over your life, you've come to that place. And you've experienced amazing grace. Maybe you're here today and you've never gotten to that point to where you see sin in your life for what it really is the ugliness the ugliness of it right now it's my prayer that God through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit would reveal it to us and not just want us wallow in, in that sin but, but allow God to transform us by his amazing grace if you're here today and you need to do some business with God, this altar is open. But as you listen, as you sing with the worship team, would you just allow these words to just wash all over you and fill you with amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that
So you see all these verses so far. If you've noticed, it's been I this and I that. But when it gets to the very last one, it changes. It goes from being personal with just one person to where it says, when what? When we've been there. When we've been there. You see, that's all because of grace. That's available to all of us. That allows us to go one day to where 10,000 years is just beginning. When we get there, let's sing our last one together. When we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to see folks that God has laid on their heart to um, uh, build a library here. And uh, so we have started that process and uh, Lynn and Sandy Hearn have, have kind of headed that up and we've already had a lot of books donated. Just gently used and read books, uh, things that have been meaningful to you and your family and your life. And uh, we're just asking if you guys would, if you've read some books that are laying around your house collecting dust. And you'd love to share those with um, our church family. Hey, don't we need to that kind of define what books that they donate? Well, Potter. We can't accept Harry Potter. No Harry Potter. No Harry Potter. Yes. Well, I will tell you, there are some, um, there's a much broader explanation Good. that's going to be made available to you today. Um, it's going to be right outside. So if, you, uh, if you're interested and you have some books you'd like to donate, uh, please see Lynn or Sandy, and they'll have that information. Don't bring us your old encyclopedias and things yes. of that nature. Yes. Um, I will say, too, while I'm talking about Sandy, uh, Sandy and, and Keegan um, going through some medical treatments and some things, and, uh, and Sandy has just been a, a champ to uh, manage her, her family. She's had a lot of help with that. And Keegan has, has been doing everything that he can um, through... Um, folks that, that God has put in his path to get well, and we're looking forward uh, to that day. But there's a meal train that's happening right now just to kind of help alleviate some of the day-to-day uh, -day things that's going on um, with them so they can focus on his health and, and getting uh, well as best that they can. So if you're interested in that, um, that information is in your, your bulletin here this morning. Flood victims of Hazard, Kentucky. Um, there are, uh, it's a family, a friend of Donna Vaughn, 
And um, so they're just asking for some things. These also are going to be available as you leave. Uh, just some simple things that you would expect that if your house flooded, that you would need. And uh, we're collecting these things by this Wednesday. And those things will be going directly to that family. So it's not some big organization. Everything here is going directly to a family that's in need, that's lost everything that they have. And so um, on behalf of the Vaughns and this family, we're just asking for you to step up and help in that area. September the 23rd, ladies um, are having bunko. And so uh, I know if you've been a part of that, things get rowdy. I'm telling you, we come in that next morning and chairs are all turned upside down. Things get crazy. Uh, but if you want to have a good time with those ladies, uh, bunko is happening September the 23rd at 6.30. So we invite you to be a part of that. Um, and then finally, I do want to mention that our Friday friends are meeting this coming Friday. So uh, if you haven't been a part of Friday Friends, uh, man, just what a great ministry that they have, that um, just be in the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I encourage you, that's coming up this Friday, 11 a.m., uh, Friday Friends. Um, and that'll be here at the church. Will be? Good. And then I was asked to remind all men that uh, we are having a men's retreat we uh, are looking forward to this date. Uh, there it is right there, September 16 and 17. The place is Horton Haven Christian Camp that we've been to many, many times. And uh, we're encouraging all men to, to come out. doesn't matter how old you are. We will, if you consider yourself a man, uh, then, and don't use the excuse of saying, I'm not old enough to go. You may be 64 and say, well, I'm not a man yet. Well, you've missed a lot of opportunities. This is your chance to learn what a real man is, okay? So we would love for you to come out and be a part of this. I plan on going, and we're going to have a great time with all these different activities and uh, uh, that will be going on. So this is September 16 and 17. If you haven't signed up, there's sign-up sheets in the foyer as well as you can do it online, okay? Uh, it says foosball. F f f is that spelled wrong? F is it supposed no, to be F O O L S B A full full? Okay. Well, sometimes y'all are a little slow getting my joke today. Is that it? That's it. We're done. No, there's one more thing I want to say. Lynn and I are going to be camping this week. We're going off, and you all don't pray that I bring back stories. I mean, every time we go camping, something drastic happens, and, you know, with a camper, and we get invaded by squirrels or ants or by other animals, and, you know, just pray that we have a good trip, all right? Yeah, because I don't, I've, I've got a lot of sermon illustrations. I don't need any camping stories to, for sermon illustrations. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. God, thank you for your amazing grace, God. We don't deserve it, but, God, we are grateful and thankful for it. As we go about our way, God, I know that there are some families that are struggling with some things, and God, not only do we need your grace, but we need your mercy, and Lord, we uh, will give you all the glory. I, I know that we will. We love you for everything that you do and all your blessings, and God, let us not keep those for ourselves, but share those to everyone that we encounter and tell about your great love. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great week. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what, we would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 
1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.